verses 14 through 26. Then Joseph returned to Egypt, he, his brothers, and everyone who left with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers realized that their father was now dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and wants to pay us back seriously for all of the terrible things we did to him? So they approached Joseph and said, Your father gave orders before he died, telling us, This is what you should say to Joseph. Please forgive your brother's sins and misdeeds, for they did terrible things to you. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of your father's God. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers wept too, and they fell in front of him and said, We're here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I God? You planned something bad for me, but God produced something good from it. He did it in order to save the lives of many people just as he's doing today. Now don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. So he put them at ease and spoke reassuringly to them. Thus Joseph lived in Egypt. He, he, and, his father's household, uh, he and his father's household, Joseph lived 110 years and saw Ephraim's grandchildren, the children of Mahir, Manasseh's son, were also born on Joseph's knees. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. God will certainly take care of you and bring you out of this land to the land he promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Joseph made Israel's son's promise. When God takes care of you, you must bring up my bones out of here. And Joseph died when he was 110 years old. They embalmed him and placed him in a coffin in Egypt. Thank you, Pastor Sean. Well, again, I want to say good morning, church. Uh, my name is Tim Power. I'm one of the pastors here at Salem. Um, before I say anything else, I, I want to say something that I think is extremely important for someone in this place to hear. And that is just the simple thing. God loves you so much. I, I mean that. I really, really mean that. Uh, Pastor Terry uh, does this really cool thing when she is serving communion uh, and, and a young child comes up. A lot of times, you com communion is a theology-heavy thing. It really is. And uh, uh, there, there's a lot that goes into why we do it and, and uh, understanding it uh, both as an act of remembrance and as a theological act. It's very deep. But what she does, and a lot of times when you're coming forward, if I hand you a piece of bread, I'll say, the body of Christ broken for you, and if we hand you uh, some or, or give you the, the cup, we'll say the blood of Christ poured out for you or uh, poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Well, what we say when a child comes up is this. This means Jesus loves you. I learned that from Pastor Terry. And really, more than anything else, that's what I want you to hear today. Jesus loves you. That God loves you so much. In fact, God loves you and has a purpose and a plan for you, and there's a reason you're here today. Now, I know that there are some people who think that our existence is just a byproduct of a lot of random, chaotic bursts of energy in a really meaningless universe. I don't believe that. I believe that you were created by a loving God. Can I get an amen for that? That you were created by a loving God, and you were made to experience God's love, and actually after you've experienced it, to share God's love. And maybe you came here today feeling alone or, or, or disconnected or aimless, but I want you to hear this. God is after your heart today. God is after your heart today. And, and, and if you don't yet know this, you can know God today. 
that, that today could actually change everything moving forward for you. Now, we're in the middle of a sermon series, uh, the second week actually, of a sermon series called Hindsight in 2020. Uh, we've been kicking off the year by spending some time reflecting on not just the past year, but the past several years of our lives, the past season of our lives, for us to, to do something. What we want to do is we don't want our past to define us, but we do want it to inform us. What we've gone through, it shouldn't define who we are, but it can inform who we want to become, who God wants to make us into in the future. Now, last week we talked about how the finished work of Jesus on the cross can help us get past our past. How the finished work of Jesus on the cross can help us get past our past. So Jesus dying for our sins means that when God sees us, he doesn't see our messy past he doesn't see the wreckage that we've left behind. Instead, he sees a beloved child. That's what God sees when he sees us because of what Jesus has done. So our past is behind us because we've been forgiven. Now, this week what I want to talk about is how God's forgiveness means that we can be a people who also forgive. That we can be people who forgive because forgiveness brings freedom. Can you say that to somebody near you? Forgiveness brings freedom. And it didn't sound like you're convinced. I hope I can do a better job of convincing you that this morning, that forgiveness actually brings freedom, not just for the person who receives forgiveness. It does bring freedom for that person, but it also brings freedom for the person who forgives now, a scripture that Pastor Sean started by reading is the very end of a long story from the book of Genesis. That's the first book of the Bible. Now, that's the story of 12 brothers. The story that he kind of read the very tail end of is the story of 12 brothers. Their dad, Jacob, he loves all of them, but he kind of had this special place in his heart for this one, Joseph. Now, that perceived favoritism within the family, any, anybody grow up in a family where he thought, oh, that's the one, that, that's the golden boy, that's the case. Oh, one of the golden boys just raised his hand. Um, so sometimes that happens in family units where there's a perceived sense of favoritism. Now, that happened in this family, and the other 11 brothers were jealous of Joseph. So jealous, in fact, that they decided to get rid of him. At first, they were going to kill him. But then one of the brothers kind of said, hey, guys, calm down. That's maybe a little extreme. So calmer heads prevailed, and they just sold him into slavery. You know, like brothers do. So, Joseph becomes a slave in a foreign land. And, and through a long series of events, he becomes a servant of a very, very influential leader. And then he himself becomes a very influential leader. Very rich and very influential. So rich, in fact, that when a famine threatens his father's house and all of his brother's houses, it's Joseph who is able to come in and save the day. Now, where Sean started reading was where the father, Jacob, had just died. Now, kind of put yourself in this situation. All of the other brothers are worried. Now that dad's gone, maybe Joseph might be looking for revenge for all that they did to him. And, and so they come to Joseph, and they basically say this. Hey, bro, before he died, dad said you got to be nice to us. It was like his dying wish. So I love Joseph's answer to his brothers. He basically says this, don't be afraid. And he says this, am I God? You planned something bad for me, but God produced 
something good. I love that phrase, something good. Can you say that for me? Something good. I believe that God has something good for somebody in this place today. God has something good for you. Now, I really do want this sermon to be totally practical. I I don't want to just say something that's theology or just philosophy. In fact, if you come away from this teaching with nothing applicable to your life, then I have not done my job. Now, I should still get paid. You get me. Um... But still, I want this to be really practical. So here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to take just a quick moment. I want you to think about someone who has wronged you. Someone in your past, it could be uh, 10 years ago, two decades ago. It could be yesterday. It could be on the way to church. Think about somebody who has done something wrong to you. Someone who has offended you in a serious way. Now for some of you, It might be a family member that betrayed your trust in some way. Maybe it was a friend that turned their back on you. Maybe it was a leader that let you down. Maybe it was a spouse or a significant other who you were sure they would never hurt you, but then they did. We've all experienced hurt of some kind or another, oftentimes the worst hurts come from the people we love the most, that are closest to us, that we've entrusted the most with our hearts. So a lot of the time, when somebody like me gets up in front of a group of people and I start talking about forgiveness, especially forgiving those most painful, sensitive things that we've gone through in our lives, it's very hard for us to hear. It makes people really uncomfortable. So before I start talking about what forgiveness is, what I want to first say is give a little bit of disclaimer and say what forgiveness is not. What is forgiveness not? Okay, number one is this. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It doesn't mean that you act like the offense never happened or that there are no lasting effects of that hurt, it is not sweeping what that person did to you under the rug. It's not saying that what happened isn't wrong. It isn't allowing yourself to continue to stay in a situation where you are continually getting hurt or harmed. You can forgive someone but still put into place healthy boundaries. The second thing is this, forgiveness is not fair. Forgiveness is not fair. Fairness is an eye for an eye. Fairness is you slap my face and I give it back just as good as I got it. Forgiveness is not fair. And actually, believe it or not, that's a really good thing. That's a really good thing. In the Old Testament, there's this this awesome psalm. And Psalm 103 talks about God's forgiveness for us. Because here's the thing, sometimes it's hard to forgive, but boy, it's sure nice to receive forgiveness, isn't it? It sure is nice to receive forgiveness. In Psalm 103, uh, verses 10 through 12, it says this. He, and, and the psalmist is talking about God. It says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. That doesn't sound fair, right? He doesn't treat us fairly. 
He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. This is so powerful. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. See, get this. God's forgiveness isn't fair, but it's good. God's forgiveness isn't fair, but it's good. And thank God that it's not just fair. I heard one preacher say, the fair is where you go to get cotton candy. Forgiveness isn't fair, but it's good. And forgiveness brings freedom. So I want to share three quick lessons that I I see in the story of Joseph about forgiveness. Three lessons about forgiveness from the story of Joseph. And the first one is this, take the first step. One of the things that you'll see as you read the story of Joseph from the beginning is that he takes the first initiative with his brothers. That he takes the first initiative. They don't go to the effort to make everything right before he forgives them. He takes the first step. And, and you see this all throughout the scriptures. You see this all throughout the forgiveness stories that we encounter in scripture. And in fact, one of the most powerful ones is in the story that we see of Jesus forgiving you. And Jesus forgiving me. Jesus forgiving all of humanity. Romans 5 uh, verse 8 says this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice what it doesn't say there. It doesn't say, after we were sorry, Christ died for us. It doesn't say, after we groveled and begged, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I really believe that there's probably somebody in this room that has been struggling to forgive, struggling to let go of an offense, and, and maybe you've even said to yourself, well, well, if they came to me and said they were sorry, I'd forgive them. If they acted sorry, then I'd let go of it. What if God might be telling someone in this room, take the first step. It's not fair, but it's good, because forgiveness brings freedom. So the first was take the first step. The second forgiveness lesson from the life of Joseph is this. Acknowledge your parts. Now, now when Joseph first responds to his brothers, when they come to him um, and, and he talks to them, the first thing he says is this. He says, don't worry. And what does he say? I am not God. I am not God. Now, I think some folks in this room need to say this. Repeat after me. I am not God. I am not God. Now, what does that mean? That means I don't know everything. Secondly, it means this. It means that I'm not in control of everything. And then most importantly, especially when it comes to this, when it comes to forgiveness, it means this. It means I am not perfect. Joseph is telling his brothers this. I am not God. I am not perfect. Now, you know, if, if, if you've ever um, 
gone through any kind of 12-step program. There's lots of 12-step programs. There's AA, there's NA, and there's uh, Celebrate Recovery. And these are all programs that deal with people who are trying to get out of some kind of addiction. And one of the 12 steps, though, is that they have you sit down and you make a list of all of your resentments. Every single resentment, everything big, everything small, everything from a long time ago, everything from very recently. And they have you write out three columns. The first column is the name of the person that wronged you, the name of the person that you resent. The second is what that person did to you what that person did to you to harm you. And the third one is this. It's what was my part? What was my part? It's actually a really profound thing. Now, understand, asking that question doesn't mean that you deserved what that person did to you. Writing down your part is just this. It just acknowledges your humanity in every situation. It does what Joseph did. I'm not God. I'm not perfect. And sometimes all of us need forgiveness too. Um, there's an author named uh, Tony Campalo. Uh, he's a really great speaker too. But, but he, he was talking, telling a story one time I heard where he was talking about doing marriage counseling with two very different couples. The first couple he meets, they come into his office, and the husband sits down and he says, you've got to fix her. You're not going to believe what she did to me. And he goes on and on about this terrible woman who somehow he was stupid enough to marry in the first place. And he goes on and on about her and all of her problems and all of the bad that she's done. And after a long time, then she breaks in and says, you think that's bad? Listen to what he did. And it goes on and on. And uh, Tony Campalo says, I, I, I love what he says. He says, if you get a couple like this, you'll be happy that you get paid by the hour. Because it's going to take a long time to get through this. Then he said he had another couple that came in, and they were totally different. The second couple comes in, and the husband sits down. And the first thing he did was he says, listen, doc, I know we're a mess, and it's all my fault. And he looks at his wife and he says, it's all my fault where we're at right now, where we find ourselves in our marriage. And his wife looks at him and she says, all, all your fault? What about all the things that I did? What about this? What about that? It's certainly not all your fault. Now, which of those two couples do you think is closer to reconciliation? A huge part in the forgiveness process can just be acknowledging your parts. And the last lesson I think we can learn from the story of Joseph is really the most important one. And it's surrender to God. Surrender to God. After everything Joseph went through in his life, being sold into slavery by his own family, by spending years in prison, he was accused of many, many things that he did not do. Through it all, how did he not end up bitter? How did he end up not filled with hate, filled with a desire for retribution? Something like that certainly doesn't come naturally. In fact, I think that that kind of forgiveness is altogether supernatural. Joseph knew that he was not God, and in fact, he surrendered to God. He surrendered his life. He surrendered his circumstances. He surrendered his offenses 
to God. Now, I, I'm kind of a mystic. I, I actually believe in all of this stuff we're talking about, all the stuff we sang about in those songs about this guy Jesus. I believe that Jesus really lived. I believe that Jesus really died. I believe that Jesus really rose again. And I believe that if I surrender my life to Jesus, he can do things through me that I cannot do on my own. He can do things through me I can't do on my own. Supernatural things. I believe that incredible, powerful, miraculous things can happen in my life, but only when I surrender my life to Jesus. Now, what does that kind of supernatural love, supernatural grace, supernatural forgiveness look like in our world? In our world, in the here and now? Well, a couple of years ago, a really terrible incident took place in Dallas, Texas. There was a young police officer. Um, her name was Amber Geiger. She entered the apartment of a, of a man named uh, Botham John. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. But, but she claimed that she thought she was entering her own apartment. Um, she's a police officer, by the way. She shot this man to death in his own residence. Now, the story made a lot of headlines, initially because the shooter... This young lady was a white police officer, and the victim was an unarmed African-American man. After Amber Geiger was found guilty of murder, even more headlines were made because of this story. And it was because of how the victim's brother responded to his brother's killer. I want you to take a look at this video real quick. If you truly are sorry, I know... I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. It happened when some of the press and a number of spectators had already left the courtroom. Botham John's brother, Brandt, spoke to the court during a period known as the victim's impact statement, the impact of which we can still feel. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? After the second please, the judge said yes. Their embrace lasted the better part of a minute. A reporter in the courtroom said she could hear Amber Geiger sobbing. This is the very definition of grace, the act of loving even your enemy, an act of selflessness which we'd like to think we too would be capable of. The Amish in eastern Pennsylvania immediately forgave the man who walked into a local school and shot 10 girls. Five died. They even attended his funeral and vowed to help his widow. Sikhs in Wisconsin reacted similarly when a white supremacist entered their temple, killing six and wounding four. Their message? Forgiveness and peace. Dylan Roof shamelessly took the lives of nine members of the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston. The faithful there found love enough in their hearts to forgive as well. Hoda spoke with them. Because forgiveness is like you letting somebody else off the hook, but you're actually letting yourself off the hook. Because if you keep it, there's no healing with hatred. You have to love each other. That's our second commandment. You know, you always want to forgive, and that's what we're taught. You know, sometimes I feel like I teeter-totter, but then I know that it's the right thing to do is to forgive. You know, it's, it's what we've taught our girls. I don't teach them to hate. The act of forgiveness is an emotional transaction. 
hatred and anger are burdensome companions. Forgiveness can free us of those feelings, but it is an act that requires no small amount of courage and faith. Forgiveness brings freedom. Did you hear that? Forgiveness brings freedom. I'm going to invite our band back up to the stage. Now, that kind of forgiveness seems unnatural, I agree. That kind of forgiveness is unfair. It's not fair, but it's good. It's so good. And I believe that it's supernatural. I think that God-sized forgiveness, I believe that God-sized love can be ours. It can be possible in our lives when we surrender ourselves, when we surrender our offenses, when we surrender our circumstances to the God that loves us, to the God that's after your heart today. So if you would, let's just close our eyes for a moment. I want to make uh, space for a quick invitation. An invitation that if, if you're in this place and, and you're struggling with resentments, if you're struggling with, with getting past something, a wrong, that has been done against you, there can be freedom for you today. There can be freedom in surrendering this to God because forgiveness brings freedom. And if you've never done that, if you've never taken a moment to, to offer yourself to God, to surrender yourself fully and completely to God that loves you unconditionally, that can happen today, and it can change your life. It can change everything moving forward. And you don't even have to have any real special words or, or know how to say it or what you're doing. All you need to do is just say, God, I want to surrender to you now. I want that God-sized love. I want that God-sized forgiveness. I need that God-sized grace in my own life. If you would, let's pray together. Lord God, we come before you. We know that this is a hard thing sometimes. To look at how we've been wronged. And to forgive somebody else. But we know, God, that your amazing grace has changed our lives. I ask that we just fill us up so that every action we take would be in response to the love that you've given us. Because we know that your grace begets grace. God, I pray that, that you would give us freedom today and that you would also give us courage, Lord God, that when we leave this place, that we could go to someone who has offended us and we can forgive. That we would even be bold enough to tell that person, I've forgiven you. That we would even be bold enough to take that first step towards reconciliation. God, I pray that you would just be with us. 
We surrender our hearts to you right now, God. We surrender our lives. We surrender our circumstances. We surrender our offenses to you. Do in us, God, what we cannot do for ourselves. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.